This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And this is the episode I've been so excited about. It's true. Lauren is very eager to talk about this one. I want you to pretend for a moment. Oh. You don't know what today's topic is. Yeah. yeah. You, you haven't read the, the title or any kind of metadata description. Yeah. You don't know this is even a podcast about food. <laughs> and I just gave you this quote from an official government document. What we're describing is a homogenous plastic mass. <laughs> Would you think food? No. <laughs> that was a very long. I like that you really considered it. I really thought about she, it. You did. And outside of having done this research, no, I would not. No, uh, I wouldn't either. And to be fair, the use of plastic is because of today's topic, which is? American cheese. Yes. Specifically American or processed American cheese. Yeah. Or processed cheese. Yeah, we're going to dig into all that. Yeah, totally. In a minute. But it's because of the the plastic, when describing that, is more to the ease of moldability and not actual flavor or anything. And not because it's made of plastic. No. Yes. Yes. Surprise, surprise. American cheese is not plastic. (laughs) Um, Extra credit listening right at the top is our cheddar cheese episode. Yes. Go check that out if you would like a little bit more information. This is almost sort of like like a dream sequence. It is. Pulled straight from that one. Yeah, I feel like it's an, an alternate timeline where we, we went down the American cheese door from the cheddar cheese episode. 
And I have to say, personally, I know that American cheese makes most people think, I, I believe, of their childhood. Oh, yeah. It's a very nostalgic food for me. Um, my my father, who I was joking before the episode started, my, my father was a chef who had, like, classical French training. But at home, one of his favorite meals was Velveeta mac and cheese. Ooh, yeah, that's good stuff. And it is delicious. It doesn't really taste like food, <laughs> but it's so good. Yeah. It's just, like, salty and creamy and— uh, mm-hmm. I preferred the shells. I had a really strong preference. <laughs> the flavor was better. Yeah, yeah. He would he would have—we'd always have it with Bertini, but anyway. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I, I was a very strange kid. I didn't like cheese. <gasps> uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just gasped and you realized did? it wasn't Velveeta. It was Cheese Whiz in a jar, <laughs> which is essentially the same project, oh product. Oh, but. <laughs> Yeah. That was a very serious moment for you. That was. No, I felt so, I felt like I misrepresented Mm, my -hmm. father and my childhood and my brand loyalty. Oh, no. Anything but that. Anything. Anything but that. (laughs) I'm sorry I interrupted you. (laughs) I was saying I was a weird child and I didn't like cheese. I ordered pizza without cheese. Um, So I didn't like American cheese. Huh. Um, But when I got to college, that's when I, like, came around to my love of cheese and so American cheese for me doesn't make me think of childhood. It makes me think of college when I would be in my dorm room freshman year and I had, an, I'm pretty sure, illegal George Foreman grill. Oh, yeah. And I would just make those grilled cheese. Oh, they're so good with American yes. cheese. Oh, they're uh, kind of perfectly designed for that. Yeah. Okay, so all of that aside, what is it? Who? <laughs> I am so glad you asked. Uh, okay, so 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 technically we're talking about two different things here that are often conflated, and those are American cheese and processed cheese. The term American cheese originated to describe cheeses made in America via ingredients and a production method similar to cheddar cheese, but minus a step, the pressing of the curds to remove extra water in this specific way that's called cheddaring, which we talked about in our cheddar cheese episode aforementioned. Um the, the result of this process is a cheese that's a little bit softer and a little bit more mild than cheddar. Um, it might also be called granular cheese. But when most people talk about American cheese, they are usually referring to processed cheese or cheese food. And that is a quote, a term. A lot of these products don't even have cheese in the name. Enough said, right? Done. No? No. No? Okay. Well, how about the FDA definition? Pasteurized process American cheese. Still questions? As well you should have, yes. yes. Uh, okay, I mean, think of, think of cheese. That's it, cheese. Uh, humans have been making it for thousands of years because it is such an efficient and tasty way to preserve nutritious milk beyond its normal expiry date. But it comes from animals, so it tends to be a little bit different from batch to batch. There is stuff produced in factories to create a consistent product, but even that can vary slightly in flavor and texture. And either way, you have to keep it refrigerated or eat it kind of immediately, and it's probably kind of expensive, or can be, depending on what fancy type you get. Um, Oh, and also, when you cook it, you've got to be careful, because when you heat cheese, the fats can melt away from the rest of the cheese solids, leaving you with a pool of oil and lumpy, curdy mess. Very sad. Not pleasant. No. But not so with American cheese. Ah? Uh-huh. No! This stuff is heckin' consistent. <laughs> Unopened, a package may be able to sit in your pantry for months. Months? Opened, a package can sit in your fridge for months. Months? It's inexpensive, <gasps> and it melts like a dream. 
Assuming that you dream about nachos, and I mean, if you don't, I'm not sure what we'd have to talk about. I know. That's all Lauren talks about. (laughs) It's up there. American cheese is a type of processed cheese or prepared cheese, which is a fancy way of saying cheese that has been melted down with some extra stuff that will give it shelf stability and a smooth texture. Hmm. But how? Why? Is it really cheese? Ah. Well, that's complicated. (laughs) The answer is that it's at least 51% cheese. Oh, okay. (laughs) So here in the United States, the FDA has crafted... uh, Oh, that's a pun. I didn't even realize it. Nice. Good job, me. Um, (laughs) Crafted an exhaustively specific legal definition of what processed cheese is. The short version is that it's a type of food made by pulverizing, heating, and mixing actual cheese of one or more types with an emulsifier into that homogenous plastic mass. Mm. Mm -hmm. And as we said, that is plastic as in uh, the physical definition, um, a a substance easily shaped or molded. Processed cheese is not made of plastic. Right. (laughs) But it can contain water, salt, colors, flavorings, vitamins, and a number of additional fats, acidifying agents, mold inhibitors, and anti-sticking agents. Anti-sticking agents. Yep. Oh. Yeah, jazz hands. <laughs> the key to processed cheese's smoothness, though, is those emulsifying agents. And we've talked a little bit before about emulsions on the show, but in short, an emulsion is a mixture of two liquids that don't usually like to mix, like like oil and water. Right. No matter how you stir or shake them together, they will separate back out. Mm-hmm. But emulsifiers make the two play nice, like chemically speaking. That's because the emulsifiers can interact with both liquids, grabbing globules of one and suspending them evenly throughout the other. Yeah. I'm making this very strange she gesture. Is. I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, <laughs> um, those, those other optional ingredients are texture and flavor enhancers and preservatives, and a few cheese-making shortcuts that are designed to speed the manufacturing process along. And yes, processed cheese is essentially science cheese. Yeah. But as long as the finished product closely resembles its actual cheese ingredients in terms of moisture, fat, and pH levels, it can be legally called processed cheese, pasteurized processed cheese specifically. If it's made from cheddar— Washed curd, Colby, or granular cheese, it can be called American cheese. Oh. But uh, you mentioned before that cheese food kind of descriptor. Uh Y'all may have noticed some extra descriptors like that creeping onto packages. Or maybe you haven't because the uh, the companies that market them really don't want you to notice them. (laughs) The, uh, the, The main categories are pasteurized processed cheese food, spread, and product. Man, (laughs) I would have no idea. I want to look at labels more closely now. (laughs) These designations indicate that other ingredients have been added that reduce the amount of actual cheese in the finished food. Okay. So cheese food can contain additional milk, skim milk, buttermilk, and cheese whey. These lower the the cost of producing the cheese and increase the, the meltiness, but cheese food must still have moisture, fat, and pH levels that are close to that of natural cheese. Cheese product can throw those rules right out the window. Oh. (laughs) And cheese spread may have added moisture sweeteners, starches, and moisture-binding gums or hydrocolloids uh, to optimize spreadability. 
You want optimal spreadability. If you do, that's what that's what you got to put up with. Okay. (laughs) But again, in order to still use the word cheese on the label with the correct spelling of cheese, Uh. uh, (laughs) all of these creations share one overarching quality: fifty-one percent cheese content. That's all it takes by weight. I think some days that could be me. Just 51% cheese content with all kinds of other bind- binders and stabilizers. Yeah, emulsifiers. Emulsifiers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should get a label. Oh, my goodness. All right, we need, we need a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of that is a really, really long way of saying that, yes, American cheese is cheese, but it's also kind of a lot of other stuff. Yeah. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics awarded Kraft Singles, the Kids Eat Right label, the first food to receive the designation in 2015, I think. Um, There's been some speculation from those in the food industry that this is because of Kraft's influence within the academy. Uh, Kraft Singles fall into the category of of cheese product, that kind of of middle ground of cheesiness as far as processed cheese goes. Mm Mm-hmm. Nutrition-wise, it has more carbohydrates and salt than regular cheese does, but less of kind of everything else. Uh, Fewer calories, less fat, less protein, less vitamin A and calcium, and less extra vitamins and minerals have been added back in. Mm -hmm. If you were, for example, to spend a few minutes on the internet comparing a slice of Kraft Singles 2% milk American cheese slices with an equal weight of Kroger brand extra sharp cheddar cheese— Here's what you're looking at. The cheddar has 1.6 times more calories, 2.4 times more fat, 1.2 times as much protein, and 2.5 times as much vitamin A. The processed cheese, on the other hand, with added calcium, has 6.7 times as much sugar, 1.4 times more calcium, and about twice as much sodium. And the exact value of all of this on a person's well-being could be debated. Like, fewer calories overall is hypothetically laudable, and it's nice that you can add more calcium and other vitamins and minerals to the processed cheese, but given current research about the effects of sugars versus fats on one's health, decreasing the fat content and increasing the sugar content isn't isn't good. No. And the real cheese definitely scores points for having more protein and less salt. Mm-hmm. According to uh, the Academy's executive director in an article in the New York Times, labeling craft singles with that kids eat right thing is not an endorsement of craft singles by the Academy, but rather identifies the craft brand as a supporter of the kids eat right program and provides greater consumer awareness of kidseatright.org as an educational resource. Oh, that's clear as day. <laughs> Craft brand representatives maintain that as a kid-friendly product, Craft Singles are a good way to get kids to eat more calcium and vitamin D. Mm, yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just uh, pay attention to labels is all a- we're saying, perhaps. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Always. Always, my friends. Mm-hmm. Some numbers. Here we go. According to Kraft, the company behind those Kraft Singles, surprise, that for most of us is the quintessential product when you're talking about American cheese. They sell 7.2 billion of those slices a year. But that's just a single product. 
the global value of the processed cheese market was valued at over $32 billion as of 2016 and was expected to grow from there. Wow. That's not a bottom. I mean, (laughs) it's not a top. Anyway, yeah. uh, It's biggest in North America and Europe, but with increasing markets in Asia, Africa, and South America as the growing middle classes gain access to fast food and convenience foods. Mm Mm-hmm. It's doing all right. Yeah, it's doing just fine. Well, <laughs> let's talk about how it, it got to be. Got to be this moldable plastic thing that it is. <laughs> this ex- incredibly successful moldable plastic yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from Ryobi. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the Ryobi leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yeah. All right, let's go down that alternate timeline of the Cheddar episode. Where we just stopped and said, like, y'all, this is going to be a different episode. Exactly. Here, here, we, here that episode is. Yeah, this is the sliding doors moment. Yeah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. As we mentioned in that episode, the first American cheese factory in New York in 1851 was opened by Jesse Williams as part of a father-son partnership. And according to something I read on Mental Floss, <laughs> the dad came up with the idea to hide his son's poor cheese-making prowess. Oh, Yeah. Aww. The model of buying milk from local farms and centralizing production at one location made cheese-making in the U.S. 
viable in a way it had not been before. And from there, American cheese factories spread like the spreadable cheese. And so did that sort of generic yellowish American cheddar. Non-cheddared cheddar. Yeah. Right. Consumers called it yellow cheese or store cheese, which I love. Store cheese. Store cheese. <laughs> not, not that other store cheese. Store cheese. <laughs> but Williams isn't the name most of us would associate with American cheese, or that's what I would gather. Nope. That distinction goes to James L. Kraft. <gasps> that Kraft. Yes, that Kraft. With less than $100 to his name, Kraft moved to Chicago from Canada in 1903, intending to sell some cheese. He bought a horse and buggy and would rise early in the morning to get the first crack at buying cheese at the market and then would sell his purchased cheese to grocery stores. After doing this for a bit and observing how quickly cheese and grocery stores spoiled, he got to thinking about ways to reduce cheese waste. This was a particular problem in warmer weather and climates, which... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that's pretty pretty clear. Doesn't it, doesn't ship well. No, no, it doesn't. He got the idea to try jarring and canning cheese. Kraft took any leftover cheddar, shredded it up, repasteurized it, and added some sodium phosphate. And what he was left with was American cheese. It became official with a bright, shiny patent in 1916. The patent reads, <clears throat> The chief object of the invention is to convert cheese of the cheddar genus into such condition that it may be kept indefinitely without spoiling under conditions which would ordinarily cause it to spoil and to accomplish this result without substantially impairing the taste of the cheese. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the cheddar genus. I love that. I know. I do, too. Kraft may have gotten the idea to experiment with canning from two fellas out of Switzerland testing out the same thing with local cheese. One of the things they tried was putting some sodium citrate on cheese as it was melting. And lo and behold, the cheese held together and melted in all its ooey-gooey glory. Yes, uh, it was 1911, and these Swiss cheesemakers, Walter Gerber and Fritz Stettler, developed the first commercial processed cheese. This was while they were trying to find a way to ship their products to warm climates without that gross fat separation thing happening along the way. Yeah. They were perhaps inspired by European cheese dips and sauces like fondue, a Welsh rabbit, sometimes called rarebit, and the German coquizia or French conquayet. In which shredded cheese is heated with extra ingredients like eggs or beer or baking soda to keep the melted mixture nice and smooth. And these two dudes realized that when you let such concoctions cool down, they can firm up into these solid, long-lasting blocks. And they settled on sodium citrate as an inexpensive yet effective ingredient. Indeed. Simultaneously to Kraft's patents, one of the cheese companies to pop up in New York following that first factory was the Monroe Cheese Company, and they became a big player in the U.S. cheese market. They, too, were looking to reduce cheese waste, particularly when it came to broken Swiss cheese wheels they received from their Pennsylvania factory. The company put their cheese specialist, Emil Frey, or is it Fry? Oh, because Holly Fry. Because Holly Fry. Well, it's that either one. <laughs> Fry or Fry, he was on the case. Fry was coming off the well-received invention of an American riff on Limburger cheese he called Liederkass. Fry took the cheese pieces he salvaged from the broken wheels and ran a couple of experiments with them on his home stove. 
When he added some cheese byproducts like whey back into the cheese, it resulted into these easily molded cheese product that melted like a velvet dream. Ooh, ooh, ah. Because of that, Fry named it Velveeta. Ah. Mm-hmm. Kraft would purchase Velveeta, which functioned independently outside of the Monroe Cheese Company, in 1927. Or that's one version. A spokesperson from Kraft claims they figured it out internally and used Fry's name externally for laughs. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Ads Kraft ran for the product in 1938 described it as a product of scientific research that was as workable as butter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which is one of the reasons how it ended up on so many vegetables like cauliflower, which we touched on briefly in that episode. Mm -hmm. It was pushed as something you could put on top of leftovers to jazz them up. (laughs) That and Kraft marketing it as a health food for, quote, weight-watching moms. Lower in calories and fat. (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh-huh. There's another ad from them. Behind every successful little boy is a mother who serves Velveeta. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Do you like to give the kids a treat after school? Smart mothers make it a Velveeta treat for extra fine nutrition because Kraft's famous pasteurized processed cheese spread is extra good for youngsters in sandwiches and cracker snacks. Even the American Medical Association got on board saying Velveeta promoted firm flesh. Ah. Which sounds like an endorsement from a serial killer. It does. It does indeed. Uh, but serial killers are not. Uh, it was easy to market. American food culture at the time was increasingly valuing brand consistency and mild flavors and convenience. All about that convenience. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And apart from vegetables, a recipe released by the company suggested pouring Velveeta on top of a toasted peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Toasted peanut butter and pickle Topped with Velveeta. Yeah. Sandwich. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just oh, that. I do want to eat that. I would try it for sure. I think I'm, I'm like, pre-upset about it, but I definitely, I'm pre-upset about how much I'll like it. <laughs> That's the upsetting bit. Because I'll be like, well, this is delicious, and I'm, and I hate me now. I think, I think I would like it, too. I'm intrigued at who came up with this idea. I don't know. We'll have to... We might have to test it. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, okay. And maybe that peanut butter and mayo sandwich that I ran across on the internet the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, peanut butter is one of my favorite foods of all time. So if if anything could make me like mayo, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like the matter-antimatter Annie sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe I'll just poof. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> one last health note. Despite not being, quote, real cheese, um, for the up to 65% of the world that have some form of lactose intolerance, Velveeta is trouble. More trouble than cheese like Parmesan, which has small amounts of lactose. Yeah. It's due to the manufacturing process. You wind up with more of those milk sugars in there to help uh, flavor and texture the product. Yeah. yeah. Thanks in part to World War One, Kraft's American cheese was pretty much an instant commercial success. But despite what you might think, it wasn't cheap either. Kraft was able to successfully market the stuff as safer and more reliable yeah. than other products you might get. It was the Big Mac of cheese. Huh. And I also am pretty sure it's the cheese on Big Macs. Probably. Uh, probably. The marketing worked. By the 1920s, J.L. Kraft and Bros was bringing in <laughs> quite a hunk of cheese. Millions of dollars. Oh. Kraft cheese accounted for about 40%. 40%. 
of the U.S. cheese market by 1930. Whoa. While American cheese and Velveeta perhaps weren't as cheap as you'd expect, they were cheaper than milk and got a boost during the Great Depression because of this. And this popularity grew with the rations on cheddar and milk in World War II. But you know who didn't like this? Not one bit. Who? The, quote, natural cheesemakers. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, yes. <laughs> if it's anything like butter and margarine in our um, butter episode. Yeah. Um, yes, they lobbied successfully to require cheese-like products to be labeled as such. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And let's talk about Thomas Jefferson for a second. Okay, we haven't had him on the show in a minute. Yeah, let's bring him back. Sure. While he was in France, Jefferson fell in love with this little dish you might have heard of, so much so that he included it as an item at an 1802 state dinner. That dish? Mac and cheese. What? Yep. (laughs) Oh. Mm, One of my favorite things, too. Good show, indeed. Fast forward to the 1930s and the Great Depression, and a traveling salesman of unknown name was going door-to-door touting the, I'm assuming, mostly macaroni products of the Tenderoni Macaroni Company of St. Louis. That is fun to say. Tenderoni Macaroni. I like it. (laughs) It was cheap, but also quite boring. So this salesman got the idea to sell packages of the macaroni and grated Kraft cheese. As you can imagine, it was quite popular. And also, as you can imagine, Kraft wanted to shut that down (laughs) (laughs) and then reopen it as their own product, which Mm. they did, hiring Mm -hmm. the salesman. And by 1937, American consumers could find the boxed Kraft dinner. Find them they did, 8 million of them in their first year on the shelves. Yeah. In 1943, during the height of World War II rationing, that number was 80 million boxes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-mm-mm. It wasn't until 1935 that we get pre-sliced American cheese. Uh, one of the reasons this pre-sliced thing was a big deal was because processed cheese was, like, hard, very difficult to cut. And this had to do a bit with how the product was made. Those cheddar byproducts um, were bought to 175 degrees Fahrenheit or around 79 degrees Celsius for 15 minutes. And this hot cheese was poured directly into the can or whatever solidifying vessel. Mm-hmm. Imagine <laughs> trying to cut hot cheese. Oh, no, that doesn't work well. And then I imagine it, it would be hard to get out of the can and yeah. cut into slices. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like, like, cranberry a, sauce? like a total failure to do what cranberry sauce does. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it was James Kraft's brother Norman who arrived at the solution. If you poured the hot cheese onto a cold stainless steel surface and then evened it out with a rolling pin, and then once it was cool, slice it. It was ready to be sliced. Oh. Easy peasy, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. No! Oh! Yeah. (laughs) There were a few kinks to work out, and it (laughs) took until 1950 for the process of processed cheese (laughs) to be perfected with the innovation of a chill roll that both cooled and cut the cheese. Ah. Oh, elementary school humor. You never let me down. Chill roll. (laughs) I was laughing at cut the cheese. Oh. Um, What did they call these slices? Deluxe process slices. Ah. That sounds very fancy, and also I would have no idea what I'm getting. Yeah. Another 15 years passed, and someone patented a process for wrapping individual slices of cheese in plastic, which Kraft took and tweaked for their own purposes, bringing us those iconic Kraft singles. In 1962, Kraft purchased an underground mine called Springfield Underground near its plant in Springfield, Missouri, 
And they use it as sort of an underground storage closet for all their refrigerated products. Huh. Yeah. As of 2015, they had the equivalent of around 13 football fields of space. What? Like the cheddar gaze we talked about in the cheddar episode, but bigger. Oh. And somehow more menacing. Yeah, I can't. I'm picturing the end of Indiana Jones. Yeah. With the crates yes. just forever. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. I mean, that's it. Good to know an apocalypse situation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the 1960s is the same decade when the government included government cheese as an item for food stamps and welfare recipients. You can see our cheddar episode for more on that one. Mm-hmm. President Lyndon B. Johnson and a lifelong <laughs> he was president and a lifelong Texan mm-hmm. was a huge fan of the combination of Velveeta and tomatoes. Huh. So much so that his wife, Lady Bird Johnson, submitted it to an official cookbook in 1976. Jump ahead to 2005, and the chairman of a Texas gala called the Black Tie and Boots Inaugural Ball said that any gathering worth its salt will require 300 pounds of Velveeta. And on his list of necessary things, it ranked of third most importance. What? 300 pounds of Velveeta. Oh, mm-hmm. For every gala? Okay. Yes, every gala, Lauren. Sure. In 1978, we see Velveeta shells and cheese as Kraft's first foray into the shelf-stable market. The Velveeta and tomato combination got a big boost in 2002 when Rotel and Velveeta entered into a collaborative marketing agreement to appear side-by-side in stores, an agreement which increased the sales for both companies. In order to make, like, uh, nacho cheese. Exactly, yeah. Um, that same year, the FDA warned Kraft to change the labeling on Velveeta from cheese spread to cheese product. The company complied. And I ran, in several episodes, I've run across this marketing partnership as an example of a very successful collaboration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I always wonder exactly how successful it, like, like I'll see it in a store and I'll go, why are they bothering? Doesn't everyone know that that just happens anyway? But then I'm like, oh, nope. Nope, apparently it's really big. Apparently. Apparently it works really well. There mm-hmm. you go. Um, and then who could forget the cheese apocalypse of 2014? Me, apparently. Oh. I don't remember it. I do. You do? I do. I remember awesome. reading I remember reading headlines about it and having this moment of of misplaced panic where I was like, but uh and I was like, Oh, I don't buy that anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be fine. I mean, if I just saw cheese apocalypse, I would be panicked. Fair. But this is not talking about all cheese. The internet tells me that in 2014, uh, and it's backed up by Lauren, there was a Velveeta <laughs> shortage brought on by increased consumption. And heaven forbid, it hit right before the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, bless my stars. <laughs> Sales of this stuff went up 23.7% from 2013 to 2014. Oh, wow. But why, though? Well, It's thanks to the increasing need to save money for a lot of Americans on tight budgets, leading to a bump in sales at places like Family Dollar. Kraft, of course, turned this whole thing into a marketing opportunity, dubbing Velveeta our nation's most precious commodity, liquid gold. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, Final note to bring us to the present and to close out this history segment and also one of my favorite things— I found while researching anything ever. Um, I went on a Velveeta fanfiction rabbit hole. Literally? Yeah. Oh. Um, As in fanfiction about Velveeta. And about rabbits. Yep. Uh, This was written by Jason the Skunk. Okay. Good pen name. 
yes, that was his pen name. And um, it's called The Velveeta Rabbit. The opening line is as follows. <laughs> there was once a rabbit made entirely out of Velveeta, and in the beginning, he seemed really splendid. <laughs> but this is my favorite bit. Fancy all that fuss for a bit of pasteurized processed cheese food. The boy sat up in bed and stretched out his hands. Give me my bunny, he said. You mustn't say that. He's not imitation. He's real cheese. Oh, my goodness. And later, you were real to the boy, the cow said, and real disgusting to everyone else. Oh, no. It's actually really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, There's mentions of spam. There's a a pun about the wizened old bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon being transparent. Oh, my goodness. It's got it all. It's very sweet. Um. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a heart warmer, and it's kind of like a the cheese version of the circle of life. I also read a Velveeta Harry Potter fan fiction what? and an Avengers one, too. So, you know, it's— What a what a time to be alive. It really is, Lauren. It really is. Yeah. Uh— I I did I did read at least some of some of the Velveeta Rabbit, and it is I, I personally have huge nostalgia also for the Velveteen Rabbit in addition yeah. to Velveeta. So I guess, you know, it's hitting all the marks. I really I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so Jason the Skunk, thank you for giving us that. <laughs> that wraps up our history portion. We do have a tiny bit of science for you. We do. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. 
Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. One of the things that I'd never even considered um, but ran across is you can make this stuff at home should you so choose. It literally never occurred to me to do this me in my either. entire life. Me either. This is this is through several episodes of of cheese mania here at work. Yes. So I'm quite impressed. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of recipes for making processed cheese on uh, on the interwebs. Um, the one that I found from Epicurious seems the most simple. It uses gelatin to create this this creamy emulsion kind of situation. It's just milk, gelatin, a little bit of butter, a little bit of salt, and whatever mild, semi-hard cheese you like. Uh, Colby is recommended for the true nostalgia flavor. Uh, yeah, you, you just you just blend them in a food processor and chill, and you've got homemade American cheese. Wow. Apparently, it will make the best grilled cheese sandwich you have ever made in your life. Okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah. I am very on board with that. Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll have to try it out. Yeah, I think I have. I have all of this. We could do this now. Not well, I mean, right now. I mean, you I don't mean, have it in the studio. <laughs> I just care, honestly. <laughs> just in case I need to make cheese at any moment. That is not too ridiculous of a thought. It's. I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> I do like cheese quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, so if uh, any of you listeners decide to make this, please let us know how it turns out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this brings us to... Listener Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so our first one is from Rose. She wrote in about our delivery episode. I was surprised to hear Annie, I think, and yes, it was me, state that there doesn't seem to be much of a food delivery culture in Japan. And I say, oh, contraire. <laughs> There's a very rich history. Food delivery started in the middle of the 1700s in Edo, a.k.a. Tokyo. Wealthy daimyo would send servants to eateries and bring back meals to their masters. These servers eventually became known as daimai. Even with the end of the shogunate, daimai continued. Restaurants specializing in easy-to-transport foods like sushi and soba implored daimai to carry around massive stacks of food to popular locations like college campuses, smart, selling their wares. Oh, yeah. Much like the tiffin malas of India you mentioned. With the invention of the telephone, households could call now these same specialty shops, and this practice continues today. My favorite part about the day, Mai, is that the serving dishes are real, not made of throwaway materials, and must be returned to ah, the restaurant. Yeah. But how? Simply rinse and set your dishes outside, and the same day, Mai will return later and take them back to the restaurant. Of course, in modern-day Japan, you can get much more than soba and sushi. You can get bento boxes, McDonald's, pizza, and anything, really. Even Yakult brand yogurt delivery. But my favorite part about modern Japanese delivery is the delivery scooters. Some scooters have a special floating spring suspension platform the food is strapped to. So when the driver goes around corners, food does not shift or slosh oh. around but stays level. Ordering food can be a challenge. My professor told me once about the day he could order a pizza over the phone in Japanese and the pizza successfully arrived. <laughs> Flash forward to three years later to my own time living in Japan, and one evening's craving delivery pizza, I picked up the phone, called Pizza Hut, and two confusing follow-up calls three hours later, no pizza. Oh. Dismayed, I did not try again until three months later, and huzzah! Forty minutes later, beautiful piping hot tuna mayo corn pizza. I had arrived. 
<laughs> See, maybe that's the thing. Well, it's certainly not that, yeah, there's not a tradition in some of these places, but rather that it's difficult to access. I, I've i been thinking about this because um, several people wrote in about it, and I think it's because um, I did talk to people from Japan, uh-huh. and and I tried to order one of these pizzas with the tuna and the corn and the mayo on it. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, if I get delivery late, I think. Oh, and everything's closed. oh, there you go. Everything's closed by then. Yeah, and I did see people with the scooters, and that's what confused me. Is I knew like it was happening. It must be happening. Yeah, but I didn't know if I was just not. But how? <laughs> yeah. Is it some secret club I must <laughs> access? I tried several times, but uh, yeah, everything was closed. I'm sad I missed it. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, next time. Yeah, next time. Um, yeah, when I was in South Africa, this is another interesting thing. Do we do delivery McDonald's in the U.S.? Oh like no, scooters? I don't think so. I, well, I I think that some of the um, some of the the new app based things would pick uh, it up yeah. for you. Yeah, you, yeah, you can get it delivered. I yeah. just don't think I noticed like McDonald's that, does not deliver. Personally. Right? Yeah. yeah, because I saw that in both Japan and South huh. Africa. That was the only thing. But I don't eat McDonald's, oh, so wow. therefore it was not an option for yeah. me. Oh, I can't imagine eating McDonald's any way other than <laughs> like immediately after purchasing. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Like when everything is still so hot that you're burning your mouth. That is true. But yeah, I I huh. knew that that existed for sure. But um, that's very cool. And I love that, uh, like, delivery soup and soba and these spring-loaded devices. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tracy wrote in, In your banana episode, you mentioned some benefits of peeling bananas from the bottom, and it reminded me of the day I found out I peeled bananas backward. I have peeled them from the bottom for as long as I can remember, but it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that someone pointed this out to me as deviant banana peeling behavior. Shortly after, I was at my dad's house, and I saw him peel one from the bottom, too. The mystery was solved as to where my banana peeling habits originated. But one mystery remained. Where did my dad learn to peel them like that? His family lived in a few different countries growing up, so I thought perhaps he picked it up overseas. His answer when I asked— I was watching a documentary on monkeys one day, and I noticed they peeled their bananas from the bottom. I figured they must know what they were doing, so I tried it out. We both had a good laugh about it, and we continue to this day to peel bananas like the monkeys do. That's very wise. (laughs) It really is. I've never noticed that. I know. Yeah, that's, uh uh-huh. That's what what a lot of the websites that are like, you're peeling bananas wrong. Watch this video. It's Uh, just a monkey? Well, no, no, they're... they're, (laughs) It's it's some it's some person saying like just watch this monkey and then mm. it cuts and then it cuts to a monkey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I just never even put it together. No. No. Me neither. I'd never thought about it. I still don't peel them this way. I should. I should switch over. I stopped eating bananas after the. Banana oh, that's episode. true. I haven't had one since. Oh really? Oh, both of us. Oh no. Okay. Well. Well. Yeah. But if I ever, if am, I ever choose, uh, like at to the have end of banana. races, okay, free, sure. Then I'll yeah. eat them. Totally. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm glad we agree upon this. Yay! Yes. Yeah. Thanks to both of them for writing us. You, too, can write to us. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. We've had some video and stuff like that come out recently. So, so go on over there and check that out. We hope that we will hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our amazing producer, Dylan Fagan, who I think my sinuses have a grudge match against, but that's that's not that's not not his fault at all. 
Um, thank you to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.